This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got the business stories behind Stocks on the Move. I'm Corey Johnson with episode number 240. Well, just ahead, Spotify. You may be listening to this podcast on Spotify. Spotify had a really interesting quarter with big layoffs and big user growth. What does it mean? We'll tell you. And Apple, an important quarter from this company. Service is doing great, but the rest of the business? Eh. And a fascinating conversation with Infusion CEO Oleg Movchan. He's got a business that's charging its users over $200,000 for the software every year, and it's working. Why? We'll tell you why, but first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. And to get 20% off when you use our link, braintrust.com slash drill down. Right, welcome back to the drill down. I'm Corey Johnson, Futurum's chief market strategist. We've got the business story behind stocks and a move. Joining right now on the mic today, Ben Wilson, who's been with us from the very start. Ben? Good to be here, Corey, as always, and exciting to hear your voice so much more on the podcast feed this week with the Drill Down Earnings. Yeah, we've launched the Drill Down Earnings with lots and lots of earnings reports. People like these quick takes on them, the five-minute takes, which we're doing on Instagram and the Futurum Group channel. The quick takes we've got on the Drill Down pod and the Instagram and, yes, on TikTok. Do I dance on TikTok? Well, I wish you would have to go to TikTok to find out. Don't tell them. They <laughs> oh, might think well, I dance. I, guess I, I spoiled that. Maybe, maybe it's you true. will. I've only maybe got you one will. foot right now. You know, I broke my foot that's right That's plenty now. to dance with. I do, yeah. I'm zipping around in a scooter. I've got the boot on, but that's not slowing me down. No way. You only need arms and elbows to dance, Corey. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Start with Spotify. Spotify trades with the ticker SPOT, S-P-O-T, with a market cap of about $47 billion. Shares are up about 12% in the last week and 92% for a year. Good news for Spotify, I guess. What's the story with Spotify? Well, good news for Spotify shareholders, not good news for Spotify workers, I guess, if they own some stock. Yeah, but mm. huge layoffs at the very end uh, of the year for the company. Um, they got rid of uh, uh, 2,000 of their 9,000 workers. Um, so really, really painful for those people, um, some of whom I know and and uh, have indeed helped us with this podcast and helped this podcast um, do the things that it has done in the last three years. So um, really a drag for them, uh, and I wish them a lot of luck. Um, Spotify, however, is now a leaner, meaner operation, and they came out with some gross margins that were really positive on top of 17% revenue growth, growth, and maybe most importantly, on top of a growth in monthly active users. Now, Companies like Spotify can sort of have as many users as they want, right? If they give the product away and they spend money in marketing, they can have a lot of users. But they saw strong growth in total users, monthly active users, 
as well as premium or paying users. Paying users hit 236 million for the quarter, uh, at the end of the quarter, I should say, and 602 million of a total audience monthly active users. And Daniel Ek, the CEO, has said for a long time, if you follow monthly active user numbers, MAUs, eventually those users, those monthly active users, will turn into revenues for this business. And that's what they saw in this quarter, gross margins getting so much better. Are they turning into um, uh, users, uh, premium users are paying subscriptions? Are they just benefiting from seeing ads? Is, is, is it growing the ecosystem and keeping their competitors away? Is that helping? Yeah, all of it. And it all starts with monthly active users or so says Spotify CEO, Daniel Ek. Um, I've said this before, but I'll say it again. MAU growth, uh, sooner or later than tra translate into conversion to subscriber that sooner or later than translate into revenue growth that sooner or later than translates into bottom line um, and so uh, given 2023 i feel really good about our ability to have healthy revenue growth throughout the year uh, and with this smaller cost structure uh, that we're having because of the focus on efficiency that we had really throughout 2023. We talked about it on the podcasting side. We talked about it on the employee side, but also um, with cloud costs, all of the other things that we've been focusing on um, that um, should give you confidence that 2024 will be a great year. So yeah, 2024, a great year uh, and hopefully a better year for the Spotify employees who can find re-employment after getting canned from Spotify. Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's look at a little company you like to call Apple. You're not an Apple, Apple guy, are you, by the way? Uh, no. Whenever I would play Never Have I Ever, I used to say I've never owned an Apple product. But then as someone gave works, me an old iPod, so I had to say I never purchased an Apple then, product. So no iPhone, no Mac, no iPad. I eventually caved and got an iPad, but for no a long iPad, time. No AirPods, no Vision Pro goggles, no nothing. Mm -hmm. Nothing wrong with it. I just, you know, I like Windows, like what it could do. Windows mobile phones didn't really catch on, though. Indeed. Um, anyway, Apple trades with the ticker AAPL, market cap of about $2.9 which is pretty large. Shares yeah, were up about 3% the last week, but for the last 12 months, shares are up 22%. So what's the Apple story? So the Apple story is, is growth in, in every sector kind of slowing down. Sales up 2% year over year to $120 billion. Profits net income, whatever, um, uh, $34 billion, up 13%. So revenue's up a little, profit's up a lot. That means the, the model is working, but uh, the Apple model, there's a reference, of course, to my spouse, the Apple model, that's a different <laughs> story. I'll tell you that story sometime, Ben, and listeners, if you ask. But nonetheless, um, uh, Apple made a profit uh, of about $374 million every day in the fourth quarter, which is amazing. But the big takeaway is China. In China, sales were down 13% to $21 billion. And that's bad news for a company that relies on China so much. But I think that the world looked at this too, uh, took this wrong. Because yes, it was bad for Apple, their weakest December in China, uh, December quarter in China since before the pandemic. But the iPhone outsold all phones in China, the most popular phone in China. But yeah, the soft recovery in China uh, hurt all uh, mobile phone sales. It hurt Apple the least, but it hurt Apple plenty. And so I think the takeaway by a lot of Wall Street and a lot of people looking at this was wrong. I don't think they understood the context that all mobile phone sales were, were bad in China in the fourth quarter. So Apple's maybe not the, the worst or not the worst at all. And that's why Apple CEO Tim Cook sounded happy, maybe even bullish 
about iPhone results in the quarter um, across the world, outside the U.S., including China. We were up 6%, as uh, we mentioned in the opening remarks. Uh, we're happy with that performance. Uh, underneath there, uh, we had really strong performance in several parts of the world with all-time records in Europe and rest of Asia Pacific. Did uh, particularly well in several emerging markets from Latin America to the Middle East. And we set uh, December quarter records in India and Indonesia. And so really some spectacular uh, broad-based um, uh, reactions to iPhone. We also importantly uh, set an all-time record uh, worldwide for iPhone upgraders. Uh, and the install base hit a new all-time high consistent with the, uh, our overall device, uh, devices. And, and so there's a lot of, a lot of good things. iPhones were four out of the top five smartphone models in the U.S. and Japan, and four out of the top six in urban China and the U.K., and all top five in Australia. So, yeah, so Apple's iPhone sales in the, in the quarter, not great in China, bad in China even, but not as bad as everybody else. And maybe that bodes well for recovery when China does get its act together. Corey, what is your next drill down? Well, I want to look at a company we've never talked about before on this podcast, Coherent. Coherent. Sounds like a lot of fun. Trades with the ticker COHR with a market cap of about $9.4 billion. Shares were up 30% in the last week and 41% in the last year. So what's the latest with Coherent? Well, this is, this is my deep dive of the week and uh, in last week. And indeed, the Apple model has heard a lot about Coherent in the last week. These guys make, um, uh, have sort of served two markets. One market is telecommunications, which has not been a great business, but they also serve data centers and AI-driven data centers where, shocker, the business has been great. So they reported a quarter of sales of $1.4 billion, an increase in the year of about 7%. But if you look deeper into the business beyond the headline numbers, what you see is that the, the AI data center business is going like gangbusters. Communication equipment wasn't terrible, but AI uh, data centers, they make some laser equipment for making semiconductors, and that has been affected positively by the, uh, the uh, growth in data centers. And they make these, these, like, these really cool little devices that are kind of the size of a Snickers bar. And they're called uh, optical transceivers or datacom optical transceivers. And they're used in a data center to move information optically, quickly from one device to the next, faster than Ethernet, faster than anything imaginable, uh, 800G uh, um, speeds. Um, those devices are growing so fast. That 800G device, revenue is up sequentially by 100%. So in the third quarter, did 50 million. In the fourth quarter, did 100 million. What's next? We don't know, but this is hotter than a Super Bowl ticket. I mean, the challenge for the CEO is to get ready for all those orders. So it wasn't really about uh, the uptick in revenue growth. The stock went crazy because they're selling so much of one product here uh, that is so hot into the hottest sector there is in AI data centers. And that steep ramp of transceiver sales is all uh, the rage and all the concern of coherent CEO Chuck Matera. As you know, anytime you go through such a steep ramp, what, what's, what's lying in front of you with regard to constraints is, is what you're trying to get out in front of. So if you look, look in the rearview mirror, the constraints have, have surely eased and moderated. But when you see the size of the ramp that we're going up, we have to manage a number of constraints. The first constraint, then the second and third, 
we have to anticipate them. We have to get our agreements with suppliers in place. And we're looking beyond FY24. This is, this is a super, super excited and super hot market. We're, we're in the process of looking out well into FY25 to be sure that our supply chain can keep up with us. So yeah, Chuck's looking at 2024, Chuck's looking at 2025, and Chuck is looking at the sales of these optical transceivers to speed up data centers uh, all over the world, uh, and they'll be happy to sell them. So you know what those things cost? I think I looked it up, uh, I don't want to miss the number from, from memory, and I don't want to look it up online right now, but it was it was between $5,000 and $8,000 per Snickers bar-sized <laughs> Datacom optical transceiver, Ben. Do you have any there? Uh, Snicker bars, yes. Data, data transceivers, maybe not. Oh, well, the optical ones, that's, that's what you need. That's, that's, that's what you're missing. <laughs> Fewer Snickers bars. Mm. I'm saying anything about our mutual fitness, but I think for me, I need <laughs> fewer Snicker bars and more optical datacom transceivers. All right, coming up next, we're going to look at some software for the world of finance, specifically for hedge fund and private equity fund administration. This is a really interesting company out of Chicago Infusion. Uh, their founder, one of the early investors, Oleg Movchan, uh, one of the co-founders, um, has a great story to tell about a business that doesn't have a ton of, you know, fewer than a thousand customers, but those customers pay a lot of money for a high margin software and a really interesting business. That story right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. Never miss another critical event or insight ever. With ERA, customize your company watch list and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A, dot com. Hi, welcome back to the Drill Down Podcast. We're joined right now by Oleg Movchan, the CEO of Infusion. And Oleg, um, uh, I'm sure you've been interviewed plenty, but you've probably never been interviewed by a recovering portfolio manager and hedge fund manager, sort of journalist and uh, market strategist for a tech research firm. So I have a, a great interest in your product um, from Infusion, uh, you know, financial management software. Um, but I think that when I, when I read about your company, I have a hard time understanding who, who your competitors are. Yeah. So, you know, first of all, let me refute the myth. I, this is my first time as a publicly traded company CEO. And so I haven't been interviewed plenty. This is my first podcast, maybe, um, you know, not the last one, but, uh, as far as our competitive space is concerned, um, we're typically competing against, uh, technology providers, um, in the investment management space that, um, they, they own basically, uh, technology stacks that support different layers of the investment management workflows, such as order management order execution, portfolio management, uh, accounting and so on and so forth. And um, our space, our industry supports the workflows of global investment managers that allocate capital on behalf of their clients. So the way is it more for the investor portfolio manager or is it more mm -hmm. for the fund that has reporting responsibilities or is it for the RIA who's trying to tell each of their clients how their portfolio is doing? In fact, it's all of it. So, you know, if you think about, you know, you used to be a portfolio manager, right? So if you think yeah. about everything that you would need to run your business functionally, net of fund administration capabilities, that's what Infusion is all about. So we start with, uh, we, we started historically with a portfolio management capability, sort of in the middle, and then we built out natively accounting and general ledger on the back end. 
And over time, as we grew and we captured a lot of market share within uh, alternative investment management space, we developed order management and execution management capabilities, and thereby we kind of completed the technology platform that our clients use today. And they sometimes rely on other vendors, but that's basically all you need. And we do have regulatory and compliance reporting. We do it ourselves to some extent. That's We're a lot of stuff. Others. And it and it seems yep. and it and it sits in the middle of some very complex and very high demand stuff. If you push I want a button and say, I want to buy 10,000 shares of this stock at this price. Mm -hmm. And you've got two different prime brokers that it might be executed through or reporting through. And you've got five different accounts it might be allocated to. And you've got a portfolio manager who's got a managing partner standing on his shoulder who wants to yeah. rip his head off if there's a single mistake. Yep. Not referring to any portfolio managers in particular. Yeah. I'm just saying it sounds like a familiar situation. I'm starting to sweat. I'm having, I'm having flashbacks. That you can't have that software make us a mistake for a millisecond. Yep. Yeah, the, the, it, that's exactly right. I mean, we do provide you know what people call mission critical capability that is you know has very low uh, margin error and has to be stable and scalable, which is what Infusion is since day one. Um, and to your point, we you know we integrate with multiple execution venues. We aggregate that information after the trade is made. We check. Pre-trade compliance, we check post-trade compliance, we capture trades, we reconcile, we look at risk, standard risk management capabilities, and then of course, you know, we capture everything across different investment vehicles, depending how trades are allocated, and you know, produce reports and then allow then, which is our latest sort of trend, uh, enable decision investment decision making as opposed to investment operations or post yeah. post investment decision making support. But how, the way we're different. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. So, no, please tell me how you're different. Because I'm curious because there, there is a lot of competition in this space. And I wonder when you guys entered into it, when it was already so com you know complex and uh, number one, complex and number two, really, really competitive. Where did you see room for the business that you've grown? Well, um, even when, when Infusion started, and I, I've known Infusion founders for more than 20 years right now. Uh, we met in 2002. Um, in one of the largest multi-strategy hedge fund in Chicago, and this is where the like, genesis of Infusion was. Um, and uh, fast forward a couple of years, um, I met Infusion founders again in 2006 when I worked in New York in a similar capacity. And by the time I already spent 15, 16 years basically stitching solutions together for multiple vendors that address different pain points uh, separately. And, you know, the, the founders ended up putting something like this together because they solved the same problem over and over and over again, and they just decided to write a piece of software to do it. And so over time, the, the vision was to really simplify all the workflows related to the fact that this industry uses multiple different system patchwork of them and do it in a way that is very unique, which is software as a service. So since day one, we have been what's called SaaS, software as a service platform, uh, sitting on what's called single instance multi-tenant database, which simply means that, you know, first of all, we never, we don't have a local installation. So we don't install software on premises. And we actually provide software upgrades 52 times a year. So every week we release a new version. And it also means that all our clients run the same version of the software, which also leads to what would call what you would call network externality effects, where any enhancements uh, that we do for a handful of clients go directly back into the platform and 
all clients on the on the platform benefit, and that's our competitive edge. It, it's interesting. Um, I would imagine that uh, the business is both really sticky because you don't want to change, you know, uh, horses midstream, and you're always midstream when you're trading stocks and investing, and and yet for the same reason, really hard to get new customers. Absolutely. Yeah, you nailed it. So over time, we enjoyed very high retention rates. But as we now execute on our strategy and capture hearts and minds of larger institutional asset managers, which are very complex, which do sit on very complex, large, outdated, bulky, lethargic uh, technology stacks, you know, that's very sticky. It's, um, you know, it's very painful. One of our investors dubbed infusion a painkiller, not a vitamin. So we, we actually solve a <laughs> very quintessential problem for, for investors, which is why we are so sticking, which is why our business is, is, is so well. So that is doing so well. But to your point, it is also a challenge for us. As we move up, up market, it, it is a challenge to displace um, incumbents. And therefore, sales cycles are longer. And subsequently, of course, implementation cycles are, are longer. But that's where we focus on a lot. We want to make sure that the switching costs that uh, our potential clients would incur are as low as possible. And that uh, so-called conversions from those legacy platforms are as painless as possible. And notice, back to your question about competition, in this case, when, when, when our potential clients buy our competitor solutions, they actually pay for pain. They buy the same stacks, which are actually stitched together from multiple systems, from multiple vendors. So they actually buy the same fault lines that you know they, they already had, while in our case, they actually buy one fluid platform that is devoid of these fault lines. It's one single data set, you know, what they would call uh, one single source of truth, one system. And just as importantly, it allows collaboration across different platform users, both portfolio managers with each other, and then traders with middle office and back office personnel. It seems to me also that your clients are really demanding. I, I'm trying to say that in a nice way. I'm thinking of all my yeah. friends who are really assholes. But, but we'll, we'll call them demanding. But, but you know, they, they, you might come upon someone who runs what might be in your eye, when you've got a, a good look at the whole universe, maybe a small fund. Mm -hmm. But they're just as demanding as guys with the giant funds because they've every, they got everything riding on every second, every day. Absolutely. And, you know, in fact, we actually welcome that. That's how we get better. That's why Infusion is such a strong platform because we are able to absorb our feedback of our clients you know, uh, incorporated into the system very quickly. And to the point I mentioned earlier, we have weekly software release cycles, so it goes right back into the plot platform and platform gets better. But of course, you know, clients, some clients are very demanding and we try to rise to, to the occasion and provide value. I would imagine that the biggest opportunities for you to get new customers are people moving from one fund to the next. And that usually happens after a couple of lousy years when people want to start over again or, mm -hmm. or, or, or retire or whatever. Those are your probably biggest opportunities. So the worst times in the market might be the best sales opportunities for you. And I will bet also that investors in your stock are going to think the opposite, that a bad time in the market is going to be bad for you. Yeah, I, I mean, it's a great point. We, our business does have this, you know, what I would call downside convexity, right? When things are tough and... Clients need to scale down and reduce total cost of ownership and, you know, they lose assets under management for whatever reason, for performance reasons or something else. Uh, we are there to help and we're basically, we're able to provide the same amount of value and replace legacy systems and, you know, 
continue, uh, maintain business, continue, uh, provide uh, extra business continuity to this kind of client. On the upside, of course, when budgets are healthy and people are thinking, you know, in a much less constrained manner, we're also there and we're competing and we're winning the business as well. Our, uh, uh, both at Futurum at our, at, our, at our company that, you know, analyzes all these different businesses and tries to understand technology and at the Drill Down podcast and, and, mm -hmm. and we're trying to really understand individual companies. And mm -hmm. yet the market has gone in such an opposite direction, right? It's gone so much towards passive, so much towards everyone mm -hmm. doing the same thing with their money everywhere. And yep. the knowledge of individual uh, equities in particular, individual businesses in particular, is seems to have less value to the markets than it has in my lifetime. I wonder how that reflects itself in your business. You know, it didn't really, you know, change anything from our standpoint. You know, the the fact that passive strategies are in vogue and, you know, people use, use more process-driven investing or quantitative or systematic strategies, uh, the workflows uh, only got more complex. Regulatory environment becomes much more stringent and constrained and compliance requirements uh, did exactly the same. And so, you know, at the same time, we see a lot of consolidation in the industry, of course. On one hand, you know, large institutional players provide now a multitude of strategies, including passive and active and, you know, like mainstream liquid alternatives and less liquid alternatives and infrastructure, private equity, private credit and real estate. And now, you know, institutional clients and retail clients walk into that shop like a supermarket and they buy basically everything in, in, in place. Likewise, even, you know, hedge fund managers and very niche single strategy focused players, you know, they start expanding their horizons. And, you know, when they operate it in liquid equities, they now start looking at private equities and like less liquid strategies. And so from our perspective, uh, the opportunity set is only expanding regardless whether, you know, passive index driven sort of systematic world prevails or not. Um, it's such an interesting time in the business. Do you see any sort of macro trends coming to to the business that you're starting to approach and, and maybe uh, trying to adapt to those changes? Well, you know, people, you know, I would say people start looking and thinking about data quite a bit more, uh, both structured data and unstructured data. Um, uh, you know, people think about how to utilize trade level data, which is another differentiator for us, we're natively transactional system, so operate at the tax lot level, which actually enables us to do everything. So every single trade oh, is yeah, accounted for in the system, you know, from dividend, like corporate action perspective, from costs and fees perspective, which allows us to integrate everything into backend and accounting system. And, um, you know, people want to use that data, our clients used to uh, want to use that data to actually make better investment decisions and optimize their operational operational capabilities. And also, you know, what we're seeing, business bec is becoming more and more global and um, clients want to adapt to, you know, the continued evolution of opportunities. You know, we're seeing, for example, capital outflows from um, China and Hong Kong markets to somewhere else in APAC region and, you know, sometimes, you know, to Europe. And our clients want to be able to continue to manage their business from a global perspective and have one system supporting that process. Um, in terms of investment research, how has that business changed with what you're providing, the tools you're providing? Um, I've read some competitors that, that or some, some analysis of your company that likes to compare 
some of your products to what Bloomberg offers, which I'm quite familiar yeah. with having worked at Bloomberg for a long time. And it yeah. seems that they're quite different, in fact. You know, they are. Um, we, we actually do. That's something we do not do. Uh, we, we sit sort of right below that layer where people, you know, generate investment ideas, um, capture alternative data or do fundamental research uh, or, or do something else like research and market microstructure. And we typically sit downstream directly from that. Uh, more and more we are expanding outside our classic system user, which is uh, either middle or back office uh, team or um, uh, front office team that pilots order an execution management system and increasingly solving the problems and solving pain points for investment decision makers, for PMs, for traders, and so on and so forth. But we do not support uh, idea generation or investment research at this point. But it seems like even though the, the market is moving towards less uh, complex research, at least from a sort of fundamental business research um, uh, uh, standpoint, and moving more towards passive, but more towards more um, uh, data-driven models that you see more opportunity for your company going forward, not less, not consolidation. Oh, absolutely. And that's another reason, again, um, uh, from complexity perspective, it, it doesn't make the business any simpler. It, you know, the complexity mm -hmm. of the business only goes up, but it also, you know, is driving our product roadmap and portfolio and, and, and innovation. It's one of our recent product enhancements is portfolio workbench that allows the portfolio managers to do precisely that, to rebalance the portfolio systematically. It's just one specific use case. If you need to match a benchmark, you know, set of weights uh, or systematically rebalance to, you know, specific profile of deviations of exposures with respect to benchmark, uh, that tool facilitates this process. And the, the key differentiator is there's plenty of providers that actually do that. But in our case, yet again, that capability is sitting squarely within the same platform and is integrated very tightly with order and execution management and then portfolio management capability in the backend, allowing the seamless framework uh, workflow that is devoid of the fault lines. Fascinating company and right in our wheelhouse, Oleg Movchan, the CEO of Infusion. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Corey. Appreciate it. Right, coming up next on the Drill Down the Bite, the one number that tells us a whole lot about Infusion. The Drill Down is brought to you by Futurum Group, where analysts, researchers, advisors, content creators, and marketing experts help business leaders anticipate and understand shifts in their industries and build strategies to leverage disruptive innovation. With deep analysis, Futurum Group's extensive industry experience delivers reliable research and data, thought leadership, and actionable advice to help you with your strategy and go-to-market efforts. Futurum Group. Hey, welcome back to the Drill Down Podcast. We've got the bite, the one number that tells us a whole lot. And Infusion Software, interesting business, not a ton of customers, but boy, those customers pay a ton. The average price that a customer pays annually for this company is $217,000 a year, Ben. Sold mm. to hedge funds and private equity funds, as you heard, $217,000 a year. That's up 18% in the last two years, and that number keeps creeping up every single quarter. All right, well, thanks for listening to Futurums, The Drill Down. I'm Corey Johnson. Thanks to Ben Wilson, our fabulous co-host, and more importantly right now, our editor extraordinaire, because I've been giving him a lot of editing to do in the last couple of weeks. We appreciate it, Ben. Futurums, the drill down to the production of Futurums Business Podcast Network.